would like to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to reference that this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 15. But what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to speak to you about being God-filled people this year. God-filled people. And I guess uh, not everyone is back from leave. There's some people still, the schools haven't started, but there's the inevitable sense that at the end of one year and the beginning of a new year, you start to think of the potential that lies ahead for the new year. You're grateful for what God has done in the past year. And there's this kind of mixed feeling in our hearts of joy and a sense of hope and a sense of expectation. And at the same time, if you're like me, there's a little bit of uncertainty as well, isn't there? Mixed in. Where there's always a sense that we start, we start the new year with a sense of optimism and yes, this is going to be a wonderful year. And at the same time, there's a sense of uncertainty that we quite, we don't, no one knows the future. And so we carry that with us at the same time. And last, um, was a Christmas day. I preached to you about the perfect Christmas and I quoted Edward Moat. Remember Edward Moat was uh, a preacher from Horsham down in Sussex. I was down in Sussex yesterday with Helen. And um, we're celebrating our 23rd anniversary. It's wonderful, eh? 23 years. She needs a medal. She's not here today. She's still recovering. Um, 23 years. And I just reminded you that Edward Moat, he, 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 um, he wrote an amazing hymn. On Christ the solid rock I stand, everything else is shifting sand. Do you remember I said that? And uh, the Hillsong guys took those words and wrote Cornerstone, which uh, we sing often. Just to remind us that actually... Christ is the only solid rock. Christ is the only sure foundation. And as we move into this year, and there are going to be some great things that lie ahead of us, and quite possibly there will also be some storms that we might have to navigate, I want to encourage you that this year, as you go forward, whether it's full of success and joy, whatever season lies ahead, whether there are valleys that some of us will have to uh, navigate as well, Jesus is the sure rock on which we stand. And everything else is shifting sand. And so I want to remind you at the very beginning as we, I'm sure you've set some goals for yourself. I'm sure there's some things that you would like to achieve this year. Underpinning all of that, I would like to say this, let us become more and more people that are filled up to the full measure of the fullness of God, that whatever comes, we will stand on the solid rock of Jesus. Amen. And so uh, last year, towards uh, the end of last year, I, I looked a little bit around our vision statement, rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in life, what that looks like, and why we need to fully understand that so that we can begin to live in that more deeply and be fruitful in our lives. I don't know about you, but I want my life to count. I want to see many people come to Christ through my life, through the, over the whole period of of however long I live, I want to see people come to Jesus because of the way that I live and the way that I point people to Him. That's what we want. We want fruit. We want people to know Jesus. Yes? And so, we will continue this year to plant ourselves in Jesus in every way that we can, through worship, through the words, through prayer, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, can I, can I as an introduction, encourage you to more fully explore what it means to be planted in this family? And this is what I mean. We all like to be with those that are like us, don't we? And remember when this church was birthed 15 years ago, God gave us a promise and He said He would give us people from all different people groups and plant them in one place so that people will say, this is the hand of God. God has done this. Yes? 
And so we are trying to build a multi-generational, multicultural church with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Why? Because that is what heaven is like. <laughs> That's what heaven is like. Heaven is full of people from every tribe and culture and nation that have bowed their knee and said, Jesus, we, we, we want to serve you with all of our hearts. And so surely the church should become something of that on earth from people of every tribe, every nation, every people group. And so I want to encourage you to enlarge your friendship circle this year. Can you do that? Together with me. That we enlarge our friendship circles. So perhaps that will mean that we start building relationships with people that we wouldn't normally build relationships with. Can we, can we um, encourage each other to engage with someone that we don't even see culture anymore. We just engage with people because they're beautiful people. You know what I love about this church? Is that you can enjoy Caribbean food, you can enjoy Singaporean noodles, you can enjoy Italian food, you can enjoy bourrevos if that is your fancy, you can enjoy any food because there's people from all over the world in this church. That's a beautiful thing. That's a thing to be celebrated. That's a thing to enlarge ourselves in. Can I encourage you that we, we cross boundaries this year in terms of our friendships and we build deeper and deeper friendships with people that we wouldn't normally? Yes, please? Can anyone say amen? I'm being Pentecostal this morning. Why? Because that's what heaven is like. That's what the family of God is like. So let me encourage you with that. And uh, I've been reflecting a little bit on Paul. You know, I don't know if I've said this before here, but you know, Paul's first letter was Galatians that we've been reading. And remember in Galatians, what does he say? He says, there's no, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male, there's no female. Why? He's trying to encourage us all that in Christ we are all new creations and every nationalistic boundary, every cultural boundary, every gender boundary is broken down because of the work of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying at the beginning of his ministry. Forty years later, the last letter that he writes to, to the Colossians, he's still saying the same thing. He's still saying, there's no Jew, there's no Greek, and he uses this word, he says, there's no Scythians. You know what a Scythian was? A Scythian was like a, a slang term for a hillbilly, for someone from, who was right from the, the farming lands, who was not culturally sophisticated. And Paul was saying, even your culture, even your sense of sophistication counts for nothing in the kingdom. There's none of that in the kingdom. We are all one in Christ. Man, that is good news. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. Everyone giving space for everyone else to be themselves and enjoy themselves and enjoy relationship and not say, oh, well, you're different from me, so I won't engage with you. Saying, no, because you are different from me, I will engage with you because I want to learn about who you are and I want to love you for who you are. Why? Because you're God's child. Yes? First and foremost, we are God's people before we are anything else. And that is the great encouragement, I hope, that you'll take from what I'm saying this morning. And then uh, Matthew chapter 13, you know the parable of the sower. What does Jesus say? He says in verse 6, when the sun rose, he's talking about the seed that was scattered. He said, when the sun rose, there were some seeds that were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. And uh, I'm always struck. I live right by Casterbury Park in, in Watford, and every year after, after the winter, when I run through the park or, or I, I go and walk with Helen, every single year there are upturned trees everywhere. Have you noticed that after the winter storms? These massive trees that have stood for hundreds of years, suddenly, boof, they are upturned. 
And when you see them upside down, there's this kind of very flat kind of root, root system that kind of has been dislocated by the heavy winds that we go through in the, in the winter. And the, 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 the illustration for, is very, very simple. You can have a massive great tree on the, that's grown high and it's grown large, but if the roots are not deep, when the winds come, the tree falls over. And so it's quite possible that we can be very excited by what we see in our lives and very excited what we see in churches and, and in organizations and institutions. But unless the roots go deep, when the wind comes, the thing comes apart. It falls, it cracks, it dies a slow death. And that's what Jesus was getting at in, in the scripture I've just read to you. People who hear the word and receive it joyfully they are like seeds stone on stony ground. Their joy springs up quickly, but it only lasts a short while because they have no root. They have no deep root that goes in. And you see, this is the thing about the Christian life. Putting deep roots down, allowing God to do something inside of you in a very deep way is quite unglamorous because nobody sees it. No one sees it. No one sees the, 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 the energy, the prayer, the time that you are putting into your own relationship with God. No one sees that until the storm comes. When the storm comes, you see the roots. When tragedy comes, you see the roots. And I'm not saying that to judge anyone. I'm saying that in terms of our own walk with Jesus. It's a measure for us. How we cope in crisis is a measure for us. How deep the roots are. And it's an indication for us where we need to put our energy and where we need to put our time. Do I need to put my time in to deepening my roots? I want to say at the beginning of this year, for me and for every one of us, we all need to put some time in deepening our roots this year to make sure our roots are going down deep into who Jesus is. And so I want to encourage you with a simple verse, Jeremiah 9.24. It says, it encourages us in our knowledge of God to know Him, and I want to encourage you that your roots and my roots would go deep down into knowing what that means. Um, I'm still getting to Ephesians, all right? But we're going to read it now. But Ephesians is an amazing book. Uh, in the first couple of chapters, Paul does three things. He um, first encourages us in the amazing salvation that we have in Jesus. That's the first thing he does. The wonder of this mystery of the grace of God expressed in our salvation and that we are made part of God's universal church. That's the first thing he does. Then secondly, he encourages us with a number of pictures that describe the church. We are part of a family, he says. We're part of a city. We are part of a building. And he encourages us with these metaphors. And then he says, out of that, he says that we are prisoners of Christ, that we are stewards and ministers of this amazing gospel that God has given us. And if you've read Ephesians, uh, you'll know uh, these things that I'm saying. And then third... He prays an amazing prayer for the Ephesian church. And this is what he says in verse 15, and you can read with me. He says, um, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ might dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and this is the part I want to focus on, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Isn't that incredible? Paul is praying this for his friends. He's saying, I want you to know Jesus in this way, to be rooted like this in your life, that you can be filled with the full measure of God. The God of the universe has created everything, wants to dwell on the inside of you and fill you with a full measure of himself. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, that is absolutely incredible. That God wants to live on the inside of me and fill me to a full measure of who he is himself on the inside of me. Paul is saying an incredible thing. He's saying he wants us to become God-filled people, filled to the full measure of God. And, and that is a mystery. I don't know how that works. But I do know this. We can't fully understand that. But we can begin to understand that, and we can begin to express that to other people when we begin to grasp how, and even if it's in a small measure, how much Jesus loves us. When you, when you begin to understand just about how much Jesus actually loves you, and you begin to grasp how much He's done for you, you can begin to love other people. You can begin to give yourself away to others because you're secure in who you are and what Jesus has done for you, and how much He loves you, how much His kindness is extended towards you. And I've said this before, I want to say it again. When we, when we know God's kingdom, when we are saved into His kingdom, His love starts to flow in many directions. Love from God, love God, God's love in us to others, God's love through us into the community. We are rooted down in love. We are built into the foundation of love. The, love is the atmosphere in which we minister, in which we live. That's what it's like to be in God's kingdom. We know His love in an incredible way. And that's why Paul says... He wants us to know that love so that we might be filled, filled up to the full measure of the fullness of God. And so my encouragement, my prayer to you at the beginning of this year is that the highest thing in our lives would be that we become God-filled people. That something of God's character becomes part of who we are. We might not ever know the fullness of God's character here on earth. We will be made perfect one day with a resurrected body and then we will know His full glory in living inside of us. We know it in part now, but let's journey together and say, this year I want to know a little bit more of the fullness of God in me. And that's why we have this gift of the Holy Spirit who strengthens us now, who, who helps Jesus to dwell in us and for the Father to fill us with His love so that we can become God-filled people. And so the question I would like to simply look at today and try and answer is simply this. If the highest goal is to, is to know the love of, of Jesus, as Paul says, how do we do that? How can we deeply root ourselves in this love? How can we grow in the full measure of God? Well, there's a couple of things I'd like to just say. First, as Christ followers, we, are, we, sh we should be able to clearly state the gospel to others. Uh, to have a good understanding of doctrine and perhaps so that we can also spot wrong doctrine. That's good. That's necessary. Uh, second, as Christ follows, we should be able to um, say exactly what Jesus did on the cross and that we are able to clearly state that we know God and have come to know God through Jesus specifically. But there's a third thing that is deeper than those two things, and that is rare. That is not seen in the life of every Christ follower. And it's simply this. It's joy. It's joy. I've been a Christian for many years, and there are some Christians that are not joyful. And I don't say that 
to condemn anyone. I'm just saying it's an observation. There are some people that are filled with joy, that whatever comes, the joy of God bubbles from inside of them. And there are others that are flung this way and that by circumstances. When circumstances are good, they are joyful. When circumstances are bad, they are down. I hear my heart. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. I'm saying there's a, there's a deep-rooted quality of joy that comes as we know God. As we know God. And so my point is simple this morning. It's, it's knowing God a little is much better than having a great deal of knowledge about God. Just to know Him a little is better than having a lot of head knowledge about Him. I want to say this. It's possible to know a great deal about God without having much knowledge of Him at all. This is what I mean. You can love theology. You can read many books. You can be up to date with church history. You can navigate through your Bible slickly. Um, You might even be a person that's asked to give your opinion about Christian things and Christian subjects. And people might say, well, we really value your opinion. Well, it's good to have all that. It's good to know about God, and it's good to be able to express that to others, but it's not the same thing as knowing God. It's not the same thing. You can know many things about God, and yet you can know nothing of Him at all. Why do you think we have universities with atheists that are are theological professors? They know not about God, but they don't know Him at all. So, Say secondly, it's also possible to know a great deal about godliness without much knowledge of God. Either. This is what I mean. It just depends on how many sermons you listen to, how many books you might have read. It depends on the social company that you keep. And today there's no shortage of books, online podcasts, Christian worship entertainment. There's no shortage of it. You can find oodles of it. You can go to gazillion conferences a year, and you can get filled up with all this stuff about around Christianity and what it means to be a Christian, how to pray, how to evangelize, how to read your Bible, how to give your money, how to worship, how to be an upstanding young Christian, how to be a good older Christian, how to be a good mom, how to be a good dad, how to be a happy Christian, how to be a fulfilled Christian, how to be a, uh, how to be a baptized in the Holy Spirit Christian. You can find any number of biographies about great men and women from Christian history that have inspired us and challenged us, but you can fill your life up with second-hand Christian practice without knowing God Himself. You can even have a great good dose of common sense and help other Christians that are struggling. And people will even say, you're a really good pastor. You know, you really can help people. You can do all of that without knowing God at all. And so I come back to the simple point that I'm trying to make at the beginning of this year. When we can honestly say that we've known God, that we know God, I put it to you, every unpleasant thing that happens to us and all the good things that happen to us do not matter when we know God. This is what I mean. As I read, it seems that the people that have truly known God in history, through all that they might have lost, all the difficult things that they've gone through, all the crosses they might have had to bear, pale into insignificance compared to what they have gained. Paul put, Paul put it this way, and you know it well. He said, I consider all these things. 
The fact that I'm a Jew of Jews. The fact that I learned the, the Scripture. The fact that I've been educated. All those things, Paul, he says, I count that all as done for the sake of knowing Jesus. For Paul, it was all about knowing Christ. And I put it to you this morning, at the beginning of this year, John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you've sent. That's what John says eternal life is. Eternal life is knowing God, knowing Him, and knowing Jesus. I put it to you this morning that the best thing in our lives that brings more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else is knowing God. Jeremiah 9.23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the, the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. That's what Jeremiah says. In these things delight, I delight, says the Lord. You see, if you're a Christ follower this morning, when I say these things, your heart will leap inside of you. And for a person who's more just formally religious, you won't be moved by them at all. Because these simple verses provide a foundation for our lives, a shape for the future of our lives, how to scale and measure our lives, and how to get through our lives with joy, knowing Him. And so... When we have an understanding, a revelation that's the main purpose that God has created us is to know Him, then all of life's other problems fall into place and they take their correct perspective. When we see that we are on a journey, a long-term journey over all of our lives of knowing God and Jesus who sent Him, all the other things fall into place. All the ups and downs take their correct perspective. They do not define us. They do not. Uh, I love what um, uh, uh, Tim Keller says. He says, humility is the most relaxing place that you could ever enjoy in your life. What is he trying to say? When you are just happy with who you are and God, who, who God has made you to be, and you're not comparing yourself to anybody else, it's the most incredible place of peace. Why? Because you're not anxious. You're not jealous. You're not jealous of other people's wealth or their families or what they have and you don't, you're relaxed because you know that you're God's child. You are His and He is yours and you enjoy that sense of freedom, whoever you've been created to be. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And sometimes we do, if you like me, I do suffer from those things. I am tempted to give in to comparison and I lose perspective and my mind and my heart can get bent out of shape for a short while. But by God's grace and mercy, it doesn't last long. Why? Because you can bring yourself back to this eternal truth that there's nothing higher, there's nothing more compelling goal in all of our lives than to know God and to know Jesus who sent Him. And so, I don't mean to make this um, some kind of neat little formula that we use. I'd like to unpack a little bit for the next sort of ten minutes. What does it mean? What do I... When I say knowing God, what do I mean? Is it some kind of emotion that really super spiritual people get, you know? I've been in the church long enough to have been around super spiritual people who quake and shake at the right moment and they say the right prophetic word and everyone goes saying, those people really know God. They really know God. <laughs> and some of them do. Some of them don't. <laughs> 
Is it ex- the experience of the shivers that go down your spine? Have you ever had that in worship? I've had that. When I just know, man, poof, God is here. And there's an incredibly emotional thing that happens. And you can, you can literally feel God in your body. Am I talking about that? Is that, knowing, is that what I mean when I say knowing God? Is that kind of dreamy, floaty feeling when you just sense God's presence? I've never been a drug taker, but I've heard that drug takers experience a rush. It's like an emotional rush when you take a drug. I, I, I'm not talking about that either. Is it a special kind of intellectual experience that only the, the really bright people get? You know, the kind of theologians, they get what it means to know God and all of us plebs here in the church, we don't really get it. Is it when we have a vision or hear a voice? Is that what it means? Well, I think it's important to, to have a look at those things because basically the scripture makes it quite clear that we can be fooled, that we, we can think that we know God when we don't. And so I want to put it like this. Obviously, knowing God is more complex than knowing another person or your neighbor. Knowing God is more complex than learning a language or reading a new book. Uh, when you know about something abstract like a language, like you, you speaking Japanese, learning Japanese, when you learn a language, um, that's an acquired learning that you, you can learn. Uh, you can go to the British Museum and see incredible objects from all over the world. And you can inspect that object and you can get to know it. You can observe and get to know it. But getting to know people is more complicated, isn't it? This is what I found, you know. Uh, if you get to know a dog, for example, some dogs like to fetch sticks. And so you just throw the stick for the dog and it rushes off and it gets the stick and it brings it back and it's happy as Larry. And you throw it again, and the dog does the same thing, equally happy the second time that it does it. People are more complicated. I found this. You throw a stick for a person, they'll say, why are you throwing that stick? I don't trust you to throw that stick. The last time someone threw a stick for me, it wasn't a positive experience. I'm convinced this time you throw a stick for me, it's not going to be a positive experience. Isn't that true? People are much more complicated. There's a whole lot of stuff that is hidden that we don't see in people's lives. Everybody carries secrets. Everybody has things in their lives that have been incredibly painful that they don't want everyone else to know. Not everyone wants to know what's in their hearts, other people to know what's in their hearts. How many times have you heard this? I've known this person for years, but I feel like I don't know them at all. Have you ever heard that expression before? Why is that? Because people choose how much of themselves they want to reveal to you. Some people are very guarded. And you can be with them for years and years and years and you don't ever know them. There are other people you can be with for 24 hours and you feel like, I know this person. There's something in their hearts that is open to you. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm sure you do. And so, there are degrees that we can know people. We can know them well, not well. We can know them inside out. And it's often, it's often how much that person chooses to reveal of themselves to you. And that doesn't depend on you at all. You see, when I quoted Jeremiah just now, the wonder of that scripture is that is this, that the great God of the universe comes and He begins to talk to you and He begins to talk to me through the scripture. And He says He wants to get to know us. You might have been a Christian for 20 years and one day wake up to the fact that God is speaking not just to everybody else, but that God is speaking to you. He's really speaking to you. And he wants you to know him. 
not just everyone else, but you, not your wife, not your kids. Now he wants you to know him. And often when we get to know, we hear God speaking, often we, we have the sense of our overwhelming weakness, our blindness, how foolish we've been in our lives, and it compels us. Something of the Holy Spirit inside us compels us to cry out for forgiveness and say, God, forgive me, I've been so stupid, help me. You know, but that's not all. That's wonderful in itself, isn't it? That God would come and say, I want to know you. I want to speak with you. But there's even something more incredible. But as we listen, we, can, we realize more and more that God is not only calling us, He's opening His heart to us. He's saying, I actually want to be your friend. That's what Jesus said. I haven't called you servants. I've called you friends. It's, it's the great God of the universe. Not only wants to speak to us, He wants to be our friends. He wants to be a covenant partner with us. I love the picture of Joseph. Joseph goes from prison to prime minister, doesn't he? And that's a picture of what God does for all of us. Prisoners in sin, taken from Satan's uh, prison to be a trusted person in God's family, and not only a trusted person, to be his friend. He calls us friends. And you see, knowing God means we hold all of these things together. We listen to his word We receive it by the Holy Spirit. He makes it real to us. Secondly, we apply His Word to our lives, knowing something of His character. And then we accept, thirdly, God's invitation to us to become His friend. And so the Bible, when it speaks of these things, the Bible speaks of these things over and over, and it uses different pictures to flesh out what I've been saying. So that's why the Bible uses language like this. God is our Father, and He wants to know us as sons. God is like a husband, and we are the wife. He is the king, we are the subjects. He is the shepherd, we are the sheep. That's why the Bible uses these simple pictures to flesh out what I've been trying to say to you. It's a magnificent thing that God allows Himself to be known to us, and He wants us to know His love and to be cared for by Him. And then we've just celebrated over Christmas, the incarnation. Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then he goes on to say, whoever has seen the Father has seen me. Sorry, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so what is Jesus meaning then? Well, I always... Um, think of the, uh, the, the calling of the disciples. And you know, the disciples, they were very simple people. They didn't have any special claim on Jesus' time. But they knew that the way that Jesus was and the way that he spoke, that he was more than a prophet. And in their, out of their relationship with, w- w- relationship with him, there's this increasing sense of devotion that came that they could do nothing else except at the end of the day say, you are the Son of God. There was this growing conviction in their lives. And he found them, he called them, he took them to himself, and he changed them and transformed them and said, I'm entrusting you to do the same thing and to through your lives you're going to preach the gospel to the whole of the world. What an incredible thing. And so I put it to you that knowing Jesus is just like for us, is exactly the same as it was for those disciples. It's a matter of personal discipleship. That's why I said to you in the worship, God's invitation to all of us this morning is, will you take my hand? Will you be my friend? Will you learn to hear my voice? And will you be my my disciples? He doesn't force that on anybody. 
You might have been this morning saying, well, I don't really care about that. Well, that's your, that's your, um, that's your journey with the Lord. That's, that's you, it's between you and Him. I hope that you would start to care about it. I hope that you would start to hear His voice. Because He wants you to be His disciple. He wants to, you to be a, a close follower, a friend of His. And you see, the way that Jesus walked with His early disciples, He still work, walks in the same way with us today. And He still says this, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. You see, that's why Jesus uses language like this in the, in the Gospels. I'm the bread of life. I'm the door for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. We sang this morning, all who are weary and burdened, let them come to him and he will give us rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. You see, the voice of Jesus is heard by every individual when we recognize his claim on our lives and when we trust his promises and when we answer His call, that's when we're hearing the voice of Jesus. And from that moment on, the moment we do that, Jesus is our shepherd, He becomes our shepherd, and we become His sheep. And those that trust Him are His sheep. And so I'm saying to you in conclusion that there are these three things that draw all of these things together in our lives. First, knowing God is about His personal dealing with you. Knowing God is about His personal dealing with you in your life. It's, a, it's about relationship with a personal being. It's more than knowing a whole lot of stuff in your head. It's about opening your heart up as He reveals Himself to you and allowing Him to deal with you. It's about trusting Him with all of your heart. It's about simply like this, if you like me. I've had a problem in my life with anger. I lose my temper. So, God's dealing with me is very personal in the area of anger. And when I lose my temper, I hear the, the voice of God saying, Ant, stop it! Stop! Don't do it again! I, 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 and I feel bad when I lose my temper. I don't feel condemned. But that's what it is for me. What is it for you? Because it is something for you. The personal dealing of God in your life. Are you jealous of other people? Every time something good happens for someone else, is there something in your heart that goes, oh, it didn't happen for me? Well, it's that moment you have to be brave. And you have to allow the dealing of God to deal with you right then and to enlarge your heart and saying, Jesus, I celebrate that a good thing has happened for my brother. Why? Because you are good to everyone and, and you will be good to me in your time. That's your promise to me. Are you with me? It's about personal dealings in your life. You see, it's about not just being a simple, it's being about, really, it's about being a simple reader of the Word. Someone who hears the message and applies the message. That's what's the difference is between a believer, a Christ follower, and a theologian who's an academic. Theologians who are academic have no interest in applying the Word to their lives and saying, let it make a difference for me right now. I know that God is speaking this morning to all of you as He's speaking to me. My challenge to you is the same challenge to me. Will you apply God's Word in the area that you know this morning He's saying, I want you to deal with that. Don't worry about anyone else. Secondly, and I'm nearly finished, knowing God is not only about personal dealing with us, 
Knowing God is about God's personal involvement in your life. Let's take the example of food, because that's easy, and we've all had lots of it over Christmas time. I love food, as you can see. And when you taste a dish, you are try, and you're trying something new, you want to appreciate what it tastes like. And you can know all about the dish, can't you? You can, you can follow the recipe and you can know something what the ingredients are and all that stuff. But until you've tasted the dish, you don't really appreciate the quality of what it is, do you? And you can know all about it, but you have to taste it to appreciate it. In the same way, I can say a lot about myself to you. I can, I can, uh, the older I get, the more cynical I get in some ways. You know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all these things, people present an image of themselves that they want you to see. <laughs> they say, that's me. And so there's these infinite pictures of young men taking off their shirts and standing in the mirror and showing their muscles, or girls in bikinis, or whatever it is. Why? Because they're trying to present an image of themselves to say to you, this is who I really am. They're trying to present an image to you. This is the deal. I can say a lot about myself. You can read about me on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But until you have tasted of who I am in terms of real friendship, you do not know who I am. You've got no idea. You've got to taste yourself. You've got to interact. You've got to know some of the attitudes that I have. As I open my heart to you and you open your heart to me, you really get to know who I am. And then you begin to taste of who I am. As we start to love each other, we become concerned about each other. We think of each other. That's what true friendship is. And it's also true, the same thing is true in our, in our, in our knowledge of God, which is a relationship between friends. Knowing God is an emotional relationship as well as an intellectual one. And this is what I mean. If you're a Christ follower, and I'm nearly finished, kids, if you're a follower of Christ... It should concern you about the victories that God has in the world. And you should rejoice when God is honored and adored. And at the same time, there should be some pain and distress in your life when God is not honored, when God is not adored, when God is, is, is mocked and scorned. If there's nothing of that in your life, then I want to say, are you God's friend? Do you know him? It grieves me when I hear people speaking badly of my friends. Surely it should grieve us. Something inside of us should grieve when we, when we hear God's name being slandered. Or are we so super cool these days? Are we so like spiritually, uh, are we so trying to be, um, what's the word, politically correct that we, oh, that's okay if you feel that. That's your right to feel that. Really? What about God's friends? Surely God's friends would say, ah, that's not a right. You see, the scripture is full of emotional language, isn't it? I love, uh, I've said this before, Acts 11.23, Barnabas goes to Antioch, and it says he was glad to see the evidence of the grace of God. So there's joy when he goes to Antioch. And when we read the psalm, Psalm 119, verse 136, this is what the psalm writer says, Streams of tears flowed from my eyes, for your law was not obeyed. Great joy when we see the grace of God. Great pain when we see people not... not uh, conforming their lives to God's ways and, and getting into trouble. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus, as a Christ follower, there's a sense that we do feel 
shame and grief when we know that we've let God down. But at the same time, we can experience this absolute sense of delight that we have a revelation of His love and we know how much He loves us. It's both of those things together. There is an emotional side to knowing God, which is an emotional side of friendship that is exactly the same as what we experience in our other relationships. And lastly, thirdly, knowing God is a matter of grace. This is what I mean. The initiative always starts with God. It's not like we make friends with Him. He first makes friends with us. He brings us close. He draws us. He makes our, His love known to us. Remember what we studied in Galatians, Galatians 4.9. Now that you are known by God, Paul says. The initiative for relationship and friendship and intimacy always starts with God. And Paul is reminding us in Galatians, he's saying, the grace of God comes first. That remains the fundamental thing in your salvation, in the fact that you can know God, that He took hold of you, that you can now know Him by faith because of His grace to you. And so in that way, there's the sense of sovereign grace that we use the word that we could know God. And there's another meaning that I would just like to conclude with is this. Exodus 33, verse 17, the Lord says to Moses, the very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. That's what um, God says to Moses. Or Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, says God. John 10, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And he carries on and he says, um, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. He has the purpose of knowing God. It's about His saving mercy. His mercy of us, his, his knowledge of us is deeply personal, it's deeply affectionate, it's covenantal, and it redeems us it's always about His salvation towards us. What matters most of all then is not the fact that I now know God, but the fact underlying everything is that God in His mercy knows me. I am written on the palm of His hands. Uh, he's never out of, I'm never out of His mind. He's always, His thoughts are always good towards me. He's a good Father, always thinking of my future and my destiny and a hope towards me. And that continues. And I don't know about you, when I, when I think of that, when I meditate on that, it's, it's unspeakable comfort in my life. It energizes me, knowing that God is constantly thinking of me in love and watching over me for my good. And here's the comma and the second half of the sentence. No matter what life throws at me, that is still true. We like to believe the first part. And then whenever life gets tough, we kind of like, ah, oh, God doesn't love me anymore. No, let me say it over all of us. This is the beginning of this year. God's thoughts towards you are constantly of love, watching over you for your good, bringing His plan to perfection in your life, the long-term future of, of His blessing in your life. No matter what the immediate circumstance is, that is still true. God is sovereign. That is what He has for you. Let that bring joy. Let that bring unspeakable comfort to you. God loves you knowing the worst about you. <laughs> he loves you perfectly. While you were still dead, while you were still twisted and nasty, all those things, God loved you perfectly. He sees all your corruption and He still loves you. 
Yes, please. That's the kind of God I want to give my life to. That brings great humility into us. It brings great freedom. It brings worship. It brings friendship. It brings all of these things that I've been speaking about this morning. And so, I want to encourage you. Will you put your roots down deep into these things this, this year? Will you allow God to do something in your life to fill you up to the full measure of the fullness of God? It is a journey. We want to be further down the line at the end of the year than we are at the beginning. The invitation is there for every single one of us. Will you take God at His word this morning and allow Him to root you in those things? And will you, by the power of the Spirit, root yourself in those things this year? I'm going to ask you to break bread this morning. And I want to ask you just to reflect on what I've been saying. You know, I want to ask us to break bread individually, that you would just take some bread and wine, come back to your seat, and just allow God to speak to you for the next couple of minutes. Just say, Lord, what are you saying to me about my life? Where can I be more rooted in you? Where can I grow up into the fuller measure of who you are in, in my own life this, this year? Yeah? Let's just reflect on that, and then I'll ask Clive to conclude and lead us in the song as we finish our time together. I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to break bread. Father, we want to thank you for your words, the fullness of your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you promise. Thank you, Lord, that we can know you as your friends. Thank you, Lord, that you make that possible by initiating into our lives through your grace. Thank you, Lord, that there's always more in you. Thank you, there's always more to know, enjoy, and grow in. Always more to hear of your plan for our lives and the future of what you have for us. And Lord, uh, mark prayers for us all this morning and for those that are part of this church community that are not here today, that we would grow in the fullness of, no of our knowledge of you this year. That at the end of 2016, we would look back and say, God, we know you more. We know a little bit more of who you are. We've experienced you in a personal way in our lives. We've allowed your personal uh, change to come into our hearts and where we've needed to change, we've been obedient to your spirits. And Lord, I pray as we break bread as a, as a community this morning that you'd speak to each of us about those things in our lives that need adjustment. That would not cause us anxiety, but we would look at those things with joy and say, Jesus, it's because of your great love, because of your future that you have for me that you want this thing to change. And I trust you for that, in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, we eat and drink together with grateful hearts, knowing that you are a good father, with good plans for your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.